0: me gosh well i'm glad we're, we're having a little chuckle because i am too because i know this episode might be a little um on the heavier side maybe
1: yeah I, I well you know i was trying to figure out how i would feel and then i realized i don't know how i'm going to feel at the end of this um hour because we have no control over things that we don't know about yet so with that being said my I was gonna my good friend. Um, no, my acquaintance, I'd like to say, is our guest today. And our guest is by the name of Keith Morgan. And Keith Morgan is an author and a lot of um Keith's publications and um projects result around um childhood Holocaust survivors and specifically within Lithuania. Um and I, we can ask about other parts of Europe as well and the world. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I say and spot out Lithuania is because my grandmother, my late grandmother, Ruth Krohn Siegel, she was born in Lithuania in Shavel, which is a small um, region around the, the Baltic Sea. So her background, as we talked a little bit about both Rachel and myself, about our grandparents and how our ancestry is, uh, I thought it would be really great after having our episode with Jeannie Becker and Dr. Rachel Yehuda about intergenerational trauma to have Keith come on the show, as I've only met him once in person when this had been finished, which is basically the book Ruta's Closet, which is the story about my grandmother's Life from childhood to late age, but also talking about other um, lives, other lives, and just general culture of of Lithuanians and the Holocaust, and then the people that were responsible behind it and that were part of the survival and the rescuing of my ancestry and others. I would I would guess I haven't read it obviously, but I've had it and it's really special because when it was there and my grandmother. Um, helped to write it before she passed away. It has a note in there.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So it's, this is like a first edition. It's getting a second edition and it's coming out um, with some other developments, which is really neat, which I want Keith to talk about.
0: Now, how can you say, how can you say you haven't read it obviously
1: because, because you don't like to read? Well, I don't like to read, but also ask that question. Well, no, because anyone listening to this might be like, well, why wouldn't you read it? It's your grandmother's story. Uh, no, because I'm pretty, um, you know, it's pretty traumatic to understand my history and my past. So I've heard lots of it. And my grandmother did a great job at archiving and going back to Lithuania four times and literally like getting on video, which we have somewhere, it's it's not lost. Uh, but she went back and got, got her archives to kind of do her own autobi- autobiography right Which is incredible and so my grandmother was also the director of the uh women's resources group um in vancouver. The, yeah in vancouver yeah yes. yeah uh so that was extremely pivotal for so many people in that industry in that um, community and my grandmother also helped a lot with the jewish family services association With that being said, too, especially in the later years of her life before she passed away. Yes. Um, My relationship with my grandmother was very heated, I would say. Um, I loved her a lot, but she would always, with anyone in her family, would always get to the bottom of things and just say, like, if she had an agenda for something, she went and had her agenda done basically. So whenever it came to wanting to get to know you or know what's in your life, you know, she would always push you, push your buttons, be like, okay, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Whatever, whatever. You know, and I was kind of the same way, I realized, which is why there was a lot of hostility that I felt toward her. And then realizing, holy crap, I'm my grandmother's grandson. So no wonder I feel so much re- um, resistance and it wasn't, it was, I didn't really spend as much time with her as I maybe wanted to. And now that I reflect back on it, mm-hmm. but I understand why it was hard for me because it were so much similarities in her personality. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's so many memories I have of her, but what I remember the most about her is that she's strong, fearless, frenetic, neurotic, extremely anxious and absolutely resilient and perseverant and tenacious and didn't let anything stop her including her anxiety and her mental health from being successful in what she wanted to do including after immigrating to canada from munich which i did not know that my ancestors who were in munich after the holocaust for a little bit oh then through um nova scotia and then across eventually to vancouver Where then my mom was born, my aunt was born, my uncle was born. And then that started around there in the late 50s, mid to late 50s. It was really fascinating to kind of read to this backgrounder that Keith sent both of us. Because at first when Keith sent it, I was trying to read it. And I read one page and I'm just like, this is too much. I can't read this. And this is not even the book. This is just a backgrounder about like some of the ancestry of where my family came from and then yesterday i was i just said okay you have to read this see if you can't read the book right now you've got to read this backgrounder so when i read that i even found stuff out that i didn't even know about including how my family eventually immigrated to vancouver like where they settled there i thought they there was less steps between
0: so keith keith must have he must have known your grandmother very intimately
1: he knew her intimately for sure. And they actually, when in the background, it says that Keith and my grandmother met through um, a Holocaust speaker series or something like that. And it okay. ste- it stemmed from that talk, that project of series or whatever. Four talks or four series, Keith can fill us in. It was a lot to read in the background. Yes. So that's how the whole conversation began. In addition to that, my great grandfather, uh, Meyer, who my late brother's middle name was Meyer, that's who he was named in honor of. Oh, wow. um, Meyer also wrote an unpublished publication about his story, his memoirs, called Th- "The Through the Eye of the Needle. So, yes,
0: you told me that.
1: Yeah. So, so, I have, my mom has a copy of that. And so, if I read this correctly, it seems like Ruta's Closet has elements of that in this book combine combining it with my grandmother's story as well so that i also wasn't aware of and i think i interpreted that correctly from his backgrounder
0: well and i am really curious to know um because so keith was he's actually from england originally
1: yeah from uh, liverpool i believe
0: uh blackpool
1: blackpool story it was some pool
0: some pool Um, and he, um, was, I I always want to get these things right. I wasn't sure. Journalist. He calls himself a reporter, journalist reporter, um, for Vancouver sun, um, in Vancouver, uh, for not a long time, actually, uh, and the province. So, um, and he did that for a very long time. So I'm I'm curious to know like when his perspective or when it sounds like this was like a real passion project for him. Mm Mm-hmm. And I really want to know um, how, like, w- what what intrigued him to dive so deeply? Because no, like I don't. Is he Jewish? Like, I, I look at his name. I know this sounds horrible, but like, I I don't I don't think he is. But maybe he is.
1: I don't think he is, but I actually can't confirm that. So luckily, he'll be on any moment. We can clarify that.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's I just find that very interesting as well. And um, you know what you said about your grandmother and her her resilience but also her um you know just like says it like it is like Mm -hmm. we'll tell you to your face like what like why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that or my grandfather was the same way Mm -hmm. the same way he was he would tell strangers things on the street like like things that they they didn't ask him Mm -hmm. in or his opinion on things he would just like i wonder yeah that's an interesting trait from
1: Mm -hmm. It is.
0: I mean, I know everybody's different, but I just, it's very interesting that you say that because he was very similar in that respect.
1: You know, I think any ancestry that's gone through some form of genocide or, um, yeah, you know, I'm going to call it apocalypse. Any generation that's gone through that kind of stuff, Inquisition, that's going to happen.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, look at that background. I love it.
1: That's a fantastic <laughs> background. Hey, Keith, how are you? I'm very well. It seemed appropriate to have that. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. I mean, I ha- I I fla I flashed the copy that you provided me way back. Oh my um, goodness! Yes. So I have that, but it can't really. Or it could be. It could sit on my shoulder, I guess. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much for agreeing to come on to our podcast. Um, I thought it would be really fitting to have you and to learn about um, how you've been and how you got to where you are. And how things are going with your current project, with the story and the publication. Um, we are recording at the moment, and I did give you a bit of an introduction. But we always like our guests to introduce themselves, both about what they're doing and anything else they want to share. Just so that way we cover all the bases. So if you would like to introduce yourself and cover that, you're more than welcome to.
0: And it's nice. I'll to try,
1: I'll try to be humble. <laughs>
2: Uh, as you probably gather, I hail from the north of England. Uh, way back in the fifties—that's not the eighteen fifties, the nineteen fifties—I <laughs> uh, grew up there in Blackpool, a seaside uh, resort noted for fresh air and fun, as they used to say. Um, I got—I was in the rock music business when I left school for a while. Worked with Judas Priest, for goodness' sake! Shut you. My yes, husband, I'm sure your parents might remember that.
0: My husband would freak out. My husband's a huge Judas Priest fan.
2: Oh, there you go. We'll talk another time about that. Uh, but then I, um, I, I I, left them and went to work for the Evening Gazette in Blackpool. Uh, worked there for a few years uh, as a reporter. Cub reporter, as they call us at the time. Uh, and then I came to Vancouver and joined uh, the province newspaper i covered the crime beat for quite a long time. Um, They seem to think that all Brit reporters are crime hounds. (laughs) It's it's probably true. And uh, so (laughs) I I, uh, I did that, uh, did all kinds of stuff. And um, eventually I got into writing a column about people who make a difference at home and overseas. Mm. And guess who was one of my first... uh, stories it was Ruth and it came like so many things it came in by sheer chance uh it was a friend of the family who said oh you ought to talk to Ruth Siegel she's talking to young people about her survivor experience and then my uh, Rachel there you go Rachel my uh, my daughter I always call my favorite daughter um she uh she jumped in and said dad I I remember Um, a a speech a talk from her she's really good Uh, that was back in my goodness when was it 1990s yeah Uh, and uh, we got together and you know what the first instinct as a newspaper guy was wow this is one heck of a story and uh, Mm -hmm. I and that was it initially and I got to thinking about it Uh, wrote the story got great response and uh and then um i just thought more and more about it then one sunday morning i woke up maybe a year and a half later and said you know what this is such a great story with a great message there's a lot we all know there's lots of survivor stories and they're good and everyone has a good story to tell but this was exceptional from a news point of view right it was a human point of view it was really interesting and had a great message and it was about an obscure part of europe the baltics that very few people knew about and so i went to my boss and i said you know we can do more with this so we collaborated with the vancouver holocaust education center and we produced a four-part cliffhanger uh, kind of feature series called Hidden from the Holocaust and uh, we, and, and then we featured um, all kinds of uh, parallel stories that were going on at the same time so uh, and it was primarily uh, aimed at uh, high school um, students yeah. and uh, my bosses were really really thrilled when they sold an extra 25,000 papers um <laughs> yeah of course you know, and, uh, and so um, that wasn't the end of it. And Ruth told me, this is not the end. And I said, well, okay. And uh, so um, it went from there. And then again, you know, I had a little time passed and I thought, um, I need to really tell this story in book form yeah. because I, I, I believe it has resonance. And there's so many messages for today um, you know, and of course, as you probably realize or remember, uh, Ruth was talking not just about her experience, but relating it to um, genocides around the world now. Uh-huh. You know? And uh, she was, was you know, and she told me she woke up in her 50s and decided it was time to tell a story. Uh-huh. Um, and so that, and that, and that was it. And so that was it. Put my head around the editor's door and said, hey, guess what? Ruth's been uh, reuniting with her rescuer in Lithuania. And he just looked at me and said, this is Michael Cook. And he said, why haven't you booked the tickets? And that was it. And Mm -hmm. so began a great adventure production of the book. And uh, the last thing uh, that Ruth, one of the last things that Ruth said to me was, well, Keith, you know everything about me, but you don't know my shoe size and you never will. (laughs) Great, great sense of humor, as you well know. Um, we got on like a house on fire and, and, you know, as she was sick, as when she got sick, I promised her that it didn't end here, that it would proceed and that I would use every opportunity I could to tell this story and expand it. And here comes the podcast. And that's, that's where we are now. You're up to date.
1: Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And to be frank, I don't even know my grandmother's shoe size. So there you go. I don't have any privilege information to you. I got to say all I knew that she always wore the same pearl white pumps had about a hundred pairs in her closet. And whenever she got a new pair, it was the same thing. That's the only thing I can tell you that I do remember. It was always the same walk in. It was like a library ballet slippers, but they were pumps and they were white. (laughs) That's all I remember. (laughs) Thank Thank you so much for, uh, in that introduction and for clarifying some of that information i feel very privileged and humbled that you were so quick to respond to me reaching out to you and to know that her story is being shared and that me and with the support of rachel can continue sharing that and helping to support the spread of that story beyond what this capacity might be right now
0: yes well and the thing and then you know just what you said keith about I guess what what Ruth was saying before she passed on about, you know, bringing the story to the mo- modern times that's still going through all these types of genocides and things around the world and as the years go on and not only that but you know the racism and all the you know we can swear on this podcast and say the shit <laughs> that's been even happening in the-
2: Don't forget I'll be spreading this among oh, less liberal you. people. I didn't <laughs> know that. Sorry.
0: <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I will not,
2: I will
0: not swear again, <laughs> but I mean, but it kind of the SHIT that's been going on in the past, you know, year, well, especially what brought to light with Mr. T R U M P and all the stuff that's been happening in the States. And just like, there, there's not a, I mean, there's, there's always a good time to share these types of stories, but if there was a, a time to really bring these things to light again, And to teach these lessons and to, you know, it's, it's now, I mean, you know.
2: Yes. And, and that's, you know, my, much of my personal motivation, Uh, you know, I'm a, I wouldn't I'm a student of history, not in the academic sense, Uh but I, I, you know, I, I am fascinated by that era uh, because um, growing up in Britain, pretty good liberal education. Uh, we learnt about concentration camps, perhaps, you know, it, enough to pique our interest as to, well, why, why was this happening? Yeah. And we were encouraged to discuss. And, you know, as the years went by and I got older, I, I realised it was just as relevant today. And uh, when I was doing the research for uh, Ruby's for, uh, Closet, uh, I just came across so many examples that were current <laughs> You know, even when we were finishing the book, uh, you know, the graveyards, Jewish graveyards in Shavel or Shale, as it's called in Lithuanian, w- were being, you know, painted with Nazi symbols. And this, okay. this is, you know, recently. And and we've seen what's been going on in Lithuania in this this country. That it's a beautiful country. <laughs> been there a few times now, uh, but on a, on the edge of every town, or it seems that way, and. Um, there are mass graves and that's where the jews are they were shot many of them by neighbors and um you know when i was doing the first round of interviews in lithuania i always felt it wasn't that far from the surface you know i was discouraged or somebody would say well you know kind of brought it on themselves you know that sort of thing but done in such a matter of fact way you know and i remember and um, you know you know of my association with the late great uh, sir martin gilbert who was my mentor in this and uh, you know he told me the same thing he'd been out there probably a year or so before me and um you know he was out in the villages and he said, you know, you talk to a farmer and you get onto the conversation and gradually it comes up. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of denial. Um, yeah. I remember when I first interviewed uh, Ona Rogowskis, who was the, the, uh, Ruth's rescuer. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not that, it played, and they'd been liberated a while the last time, right from the Russians, Lithuania, but she was still nervous about talking about it because neighbours had parents who had been naughty, you know, to say the least. And that's the way she would say it at first. Uh, bless her, you know. And she was she was quite reserved. But when I went back um, a few years later on my own to do further interviews and in depth interviews with her and many others. She was she felt more free to talk um, but then I thought well this is really encouraging and now I'm still seeing the same kind of denial and this this double narrative this twin narrative you know the you know they work with the Russians and all the, you know and it, yeah. you know it's it's terrible, and, and there's a reluctance to admit it. I think that was really, really highlighted for me over the last few years when you see this succession of um, fascists, the Lithuanian action front people who are being commended for their, uh, their services to Lithuania, in, in that case, fighting Russians, you know. Um, uh, but boy, did it come home to me quite recently um, when I came across um a woman in Chicago called uh, Sylvia Foti. And she was uh, I I've spoken to a little bit, but I I'm going to be interviewing her for the podcast, obviously. Yeah. And she um she was doing ostensibly seemed to be doing um, kind of a family biography and taking it over from I think her mother. Um okay. forgive me if I've got that slightly wrong, but that was the idea, and she suddenly realized this man who would be her grandfather, who'd been commended for being this Lithuanian hero. When she started digging into it,
1: mm-hmm.
2: she found out that he was a mass murderer of Jews. And um, even more interest to me, of course, is guess where he was based? In Shavel, Shavel. Wow. And, um, you know, so uh, I, mean, I am going to be talking to her, obviously, but it was a great, can you imagine the shock of doing this lovely Biography for one of your hero uh, grandparents, only to find out it was a mass murderer. Um, okay. but, but, you know, good on her. She has written a fantastic book. Um, and uh, it, it's, uh, I think it's out now. Uh, and um, she doesn't hold back. Yeah. It uh, doesn't hold back at all. So I'm really looking forward to talking to her for a, an interview like this because uh, we'll really get to learn about what she went through. I mean, I can't imagine. Uh, even some of her family were naturally warning her off in the end. But she went through with it. Um, So, I mean, those kind of things just reinforce the fact that that this story needs to be told. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, what... Am I going on too long here? Not Um, at all. No. I think one of the things, you know, um, I think that struck me about this story and will go with me for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm not I'm not plot spoiling here because we know what happened. Um, and that is that um, in in the Kinder action, which is a, was ha- happened in a number of ghettos, where basically the Nazis uh, went in and uh, removed all the children, and uh, well, they took them to Auschwitz. And the story is um, that. Uh, they came into the Shavel uh, ghetto, uh, uh, Meyer, Meyer and Gita um, uh, Krone, uh, uh parents, obviously, of, uh, of Ruth. And they kind of knew something like this was going to happen. So they arranged for, for her to be hidden by grandpa. And uh, that happened and, and was successful for a while. But then they came out too early of hiding and were found. And they were thrown on the back of a truck. And this was the bit that really got me. For, there was a scene, which I've got witnesses to, where um, uh, second cousin, uh, Wolf pesahovitz who was the ghetto doctor, was arguing with the commandant saying, you can't do this, you owe me. Maybe you'll have to read the book to find out why. He owed him, but um, he won. And in the end, he turned around and said, well, the older one can stay because she can work really six or seven but the young one has to go and that was little sister tamara and this is what got me was the scene of ruth shouting at tamara for leaving her on the back of the truck getting a ride in a big truck and little tamara with her arms, you know basically shouting at her sister you know, don't let me go! Don't let me go! And the history, the rest is history. And that is Tamara went to Auschwitz, and was gassed and killed. Yeah. Uh, Ruth was saved, and to, to tell the story, of course, okay. that that single moment—how can you not relate to that? Yeah. Whether you have children or not, brothers or sisters—that was that was that for me. That was what made it happen for me and may not no gotta do this Jesus it's become on my Jesus. life's work
0: i am I'm kind of speechless and I'm also going through because i don't I'm, hero you maybe you know I see like I can't even i have no words i uh, uh my my grand got, my,
2: talk, isn't it <laughs> well,
0: yeah, yeah, it's well <clears throat> my grandparents are also called holocaust survivors and they were they were older, so they were like they could work they were teenagers and Anyway, I'm not going to tell the whole, there's a lot of stories there, but there's just, uh, I guess you don't really realize sometimes how deeply ingrained it is, even in your DNA. Mm-hmm. Like that didn't happen to me um, personally or firsthand, but there's something so like in my blood that just um, not relates, but just anyway, yeah, it's, it's a lot.
2: <laughs> you know, one of the things that maybe in my later years, <laughs> yeah, that I will ponder more. I mean, I don't say I haven't pondered it now, but I'll ponder it more at more length. Is During the course of this process of me working on this book, I met some absolutely incredible people. And it was amazing how one would open a door to another and then another. And how and you, you, you can't help but think, Mm, meant to be this was meant to be yeah and I remember you know you might not know this uh, hero but um one of your um grandmother's firm friends was Robert Krell uh, who's you know um done a lot at uh, Vancouver Holocaust Center and many other things academically and um I I was interviewing Robert um and he said you know you should go and meet my friend Martin Gilbert well, I immediately know this is this is Churchill's biographer, you know. Why is he going to want to speak to me? He's, he's a sir. He's a knight, you know, an English schoolboy, oh, you know. And so, um, you know, I said, "Well, okay, if he'll see me." And he said, "Oh, he'll see you." And I, um, I wrote to him, and sure enough, he said, "Oh, yeah, come along." Gave me his private address. I went there. Well, I didn't realize at the time that Sir Martin actually knew Ruth's story. He'd been over here doing um, lectures, fundraising lectures, you know, for various charities. And, And so he knew. And then through Robert, of course, he knew the story. And he turned to me and he said, Keith, you're a newspaper guy. You know how to write stories for people who are not Jews, who are going to need to know this. And he said, I'm a fusty old historian. You know, he said, I write about this. This is the man that's got it on how many books translated on the Holocaust, you know. But anyway, he said, I'm just a fusty old academic. But he said, you have to tell this story. <laughs> so, yeah, I've got a two line whip here. I've got Ruth telling me I have to. And I got Sir Martin Gilbert telling me I have to do. So you obey, right? So I – and he said, you've got to bring this out. You've got to tell the story the way you tell your stories to your readers. You've got to show empathy. You've got to show it to them. And so he opened so many doors. You know, I wanted to go see somebody. And then and as soon as he picked up the phone, I was there. And um, at the same time, I'd found a guy on uh, some website who had written, written some responses to uh, – uh, uh the, the kinder action what was happening there and he um, he was a genealogist and he was based in london a, a guy called uh, dr Saul Ishroth and i i, I thought oh, i should get hold of him so i sent him an email two years later <laughs> hey I, are you still interested in this he wrote i found this in my junk folder. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> well so i said oh yes i am you know and told him i'd already seen some art and some other people And so I was over there again, and now we've become lifelong friends. Um, Mm. He, he, and another person co-authored a seven-volume set on all that happened to the Jews in Lithuania, tracing from Hampton. There were two hundred plus thousand before the war. By the end of the war, ninety-six percent of them had been murdered. Oh my God! And Saw set about with this co-author uh, of tracking down, you know, because what the Nazis did was they used to, you, you know, you will always hear about their efficiency. Um, they uh, they went into a, a ghetto or to a, to a uh, community before they turned it into a ghetto, and they did a um, basically did a census of every, every single person, age, what they did. Okay. So all scattered around are these volumes of records of uh, and, uh of everybody that lived there and that's how he was able to trace you know really what happened to them uh, and so Saul has um has been incredibly helpful is to this day he's from South Africa and he has A lot to do with educational uh, places, you know, and through his genealogy genealogy interest, um, you know, he gets around the world. Not at the moment, none of us do. But um, he's just been remarkable for me and um, tells wonderful stories himself, of course. And then, you know, I'd go somewhere and then somebody else would refer me to somebody else. And I remember once um, the story about um, Ruth was rescued by a couple who was supposed to rescue somebody else? Oh, a little girl, another little, Oh, yeah, and, and an honor had come to pick this little girl up to take her, but then get ghetto gates. They had a way of getting her out without being, you know, suspicion. Yeah. And the mother came and said, "You know, we just like to keep her for one last Shabbat." Did I did it. it i did it yep. they kept her too long and so those people worked in the factory that maya crone you know was the chief engineer and they came knocked on his door and said you know your daughter can be saved i was about that for selflessness and um and wow. so that's how that happened and Years later, of course, I'm doing the research. Well, I knew the names of this couple. And I then found out that a woman I'd met in London who'd been quite helpful, she'd responded to an ad I'd put in the paper about looking for Shavel survivors. And she said, uh, oh, I know them. They were friends of my parents from Chavel. And uh, they now live in, they lived in France. And, but they've died. But you know what? They have a daughter in Israel, but she couldn't tell me where she was. Well, I have a friend here who's got a sister in Israel. And I, I said, oh, I wonder if she could help me. Phoned her up, her sister. She says, oh, yeah, she's my dentist.
1: <laughs> of course. Of course. Oh, gosh. It's unbelievable. So and, uh, you know. <laughs> wow.
2: And that just keeps happening. You know, and then it was like um, the uh, one day my uh, my phone rang at some uh, ungodly hour on the west coast. Right, <laughs> I thought, oh, yeah, this is a coast from back. This is a call from Backes. Must be sure enough. Guy gets on the phone. He says, uh, "My my name's Gene Luntz." I'm thinking straight away. I think I know that name. And he said, hey, I was just doing some research and I came across your name writing a book about this. And I said, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, um, my father, and I immediately knew this was his original name was Monsus. And his father was a ghetto gynecologist who had conspired with Wolf (laughs) Pesahoglips to uh, save unborn children who were threatened when there was a ban on births. And uh, he said, "I may have some things of interest to you." You know. And now that this was a this was a funny call because he said he realized I was from. Uh, now this is another rock another rock story here. So oh, he, he yeah he said, uh, well, "You're I, not from here, are you?" I said, "No, I'm I'm from the north of England." And I, he said, oh, "Have you always been in news?" No, I was in the music business. Oh, my fr- one of my friends is. I've just had Christmas with him, and he's in the music business. And he said i'm going to say you're from somewhere like blackpool and i'm thinking how does a new yorker know how a, what a blackpool guy talks like? yeah <laughs> and and he said "Yeah, well, my friend's from blackpool and i said oh really he said you might know him i said well i doubted you know music this you know, blackpool's big music business i was beyond there anyway and he says his name's graham nash the hall is crosby Stills, and nash <laughs> Oh yeah, I do know. I actually have every album he's ever done, <laughs> and it turns out he's an artist uh, agent and a photographer, and because he's a great national photographer, and wow. and so he furnished me with these great great material and told me the story about how his parents were separated when they liquidated the ghetto, mm. and how um, you know basically they thought each other was dead and uh, he went uh, to i think it was to vienna that's right uh, and started to practice again and, and he was actually he was dating a young lady i don't think he was actually i don't recall he was they were thinking of marriage and he's walking down the street and who's on the other side of the street his wife <laughs> so they reunite <laughs> remarkable stuff uh, you know and that uh, and, and that and I, the reason why um, uh, Gene had looked for me was because he um, he'd come across my name. Uh, I think it was a guy in, in New York, New Jersey, called Ben Gotts, and Ben uh, had done a you know a family thing, saying, "Oh, I you know my family does this. I've just met a guy from Vancouver doing this, blah blah blah." And of course, Ben Gotts is a man I found who was the last baby born illegally. In the ghetto and I found him in New Jersey. What? count, County had six grandchildren. <laughs> wow. Morning, who knows? So wow. yeah, he he, um, he was he was basically smuggled out. He was virtually he was born in one room. His mother said, I'm not, I'm not giving up my baby. Was born and he was smuggled out. Mm-hmm. and uh, he lived in Lithuania for many years and then was given uh, um the Kremlin letting go Khrushchev actually let him uh, return to his parents in, in New York and then I and as I said I meant lovely lovely man um and I will obviously be talking to him on the podcast um, but it, you see all the links it's just it's just remarkable
1: well, it's completely you know, remarkable and I again Myself and Rachel are just so humbled and grateful that you can share and articulate yourself in such a eloquent and succinct way. I mean, there's many things you've shared even in that passage of speaking that I was not aware of, of course, um, and that I'm grateful to now be aware of what I'm wondering as well, though, is that in terms of the relationship you had with Ruth and how that developed, how that evolved and especially in the later years of her life and then how she did, you know,
2: this started out as a two-year project mm. <laughs> you know okay. uh, let's say when would that be that would be yeah sort of around 2000 or a little bit beyond then okay. uh, and it's just you know i what i did was um uh, maya your great grandfather um he had a in, an amazing unpublished memoir
1: yes that's right
2: um, and uh, which is available, I think, on digitally I, I, through the eye of a needle. I think you said it, Montreal has a, a the university there, and right. so I used that as an outline to, to send me off to explore and expand and, and develop, and indeed um, get witnesses. You know, find. You know, it wasn't that I didn't believe in, but I, it, but it's so much stronger if you can verify everything with somebody else who said, "Oh yeah, that happened." Yeah. This yeah. So, so you know, the old uh, crime beat guy came back to the fore, and there I went investigating away. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this was just when Google was starting. You know. <laughs> oh wow. Oh yeah. Now what do you do? You know. Yeah. So um, you know, I uh, I, I, I used <laughs> used that to some degree, uh, but I did. I mean, I, I used that as the outline, and every okay. time I come back to report to Ruth, I say, you know, I found something else out. And then, of course, she'd say, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. And I'm saying, Ruth, why didn't you tell me last week? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it was funny. Uh, And we just became good good friends and uh, we went on. And, of course, time passed and the more and more I got, it just kept expanding. And I kept saying to her, you know, let's see this through to its logical end. Let me follow up every lead that I have. Yeah. And let's put flesh on the bone because the better we do this, the better job we do it, you know the more it's going to be read and appreciated um, and we arrived at this agreement that what we would do is yes it's yes, it's a documentary and yes it's true but we decided that to make it more accessible uh-huh. wherever possible we try to feed in um, uh, uh, sort of uh, conversations
0: Yeah,
2: Uh, and and she would vet them and say, yeah, that's what my father would say. But of course, because he'd written that memoir, I already had a lot of his words, Mm. and so that wasn't, you know, uh, that wasn't that difficult. So we recreated stuff, and and it's not made up. It's not made up, but it just helps it along. And of course, that was what I did when I went to see survivors, other survivors. I, I, I asked them to tell me you know relate conversations i mean they weren't going to be verbatim but they were going to be the essence was going to be there and the the judenrat the jewish council within the ghetto uh, had a, a scribe called yarashalmi and uh he um he kept meticulous notes including quotes of mm. what was being said in his minutes and mm. um, before the ghetto was liquidated he hid his diary mm. somewhere and the Russians found it when they came back in again and huh. they used it in, in Nazi trials uh, and it was, it was published in Yad Vashem, you know, at the museum in Jerusalem, Yeah, they, um they published it ye- oh, years ago. Huh. Nobody, they were re- kept coming across references to it online via Mr. <laughs> Google, you know, as we called him then. And, um, I couldn't, but I couldn't find. Well, of course, Saul, by that time, I, I got to know Saul. And he said, oh, we'll try this, try that. Well, you know what? I did a search. I was looking quite good. And one of the things that you're taught to, to do as an investigator uh, when you're covering police beat is just keep going.
1: Uh-huh.
2: right? Go to the seventh page. Uh-huh. Mm. So I did the same thing with Google. And I, and I got to the seventh page of a search and was almost yawning by the time I'd gone through all the... <laughs> isn't that coincidence? <laughs> that was subliminal. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Whoa, this <is> scary. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, guess what? I found a bookstore, an antiquarian bookstore in Amsterdam that had a rebound copy of it. No way. So uh, I, I ordered it and it arrived. Well, of course, it was all in Yiddish is <laughs> not you know i know the swear words that's about it
1: yeah totally
2: um, you know and so um i took it to the vancouver holocaust center and they said oh we have a team of translators they meet every i think it was every monday or tuesday Whoa. well there's no index but i knew roughly from myers um uh, memoir time pretty much the times so i'd go and, and i and, and it was labeled in that way it would say you know march something to you know mm-hmm. so i would say can you go in there <laughs> and i'm looking for this yeah well this little group came back with amazing material all translated for me plus all this verbatim stuff and there was this amazing debate when the Nazis came in and said, no more children born after this date. If they are, they'll be executed and their entire families. Oh, my God. And you can imagine the debate, the level of debate within the UNRAT. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so explosive. So, you know, the newspaper guy came to the fore again thinking, wow, you know, this is powerful and you know uh, in the end uh, wolf was cooking up a little plan yeah so he and the uh, and lunch they plan to basically tell these parents or parents to be i should say you know your children are going to be aborted before they're born but guess what we can induce some of them <laughs> before that date and they did wow but again one of those moments I had this story from Pester Holtz about him carrying out the abortions
0: yes can you
2: imagine no, no. not even close and Jesus. he goes through, goes through the day and explains how they do it with these rudimentary tools let's be honest you know and, and, I mean, not in too gory a detail, but he, he, he does. And then he turned to his nurse, who was his cousin, married, well, no, no, hang on, no, it was his sister-in-law, right, married to his brother. And she hopped on the table and had her abortion. No. I mean, whoa, again, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, people have got, got to see this. This, is this. These are the stories of courage and bravery. You know, that they have to know. you know, people have to see this happened, you know. Stop denying this stuff. It happened, yeah, yeah
1: exactly. The
2: more- um, and and and, and uh, you know, this, you know, so I've I created it, the book in in that way. I, I explain it in the forward. Uh, you know um, why we did it this way, and we made we, we took some liberties with Lithuanian language because, of course, and you probably know, there are surnames different depending whether you're the daughter. we'll just stick with mm-hmm. <laughs> one name. We'll stick with Jewish names when we could. Um, sure. But we told it, it. I mean, in a nutshell, um, which I find hard to do, as you've gathered, um, it's. Um, it's a story of courage it's a story that focuses on one family that basically tries to tell the wider story of the ghetto in Shavel, than the the much wider story the holocaust story Mm -hmm. Uh, and i draw upon every resource i i can to do that and you know when i was first starting as a reporter it's about people
0: yeah
2: and you tell their stories and they're mm-hmm. so much more powerful than just a mere statement of facts. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I endeavored to do. And I was fortunate in that the people of Ruth's family were so important within the ghetto. I don't mean that that they thought themselves important, it's because they played such significant roles mm-hmm. in the operation of the ghetto. you know, her father was pretty much running the leather factory which was providing the goods for the, the boots, et cetera, the belts for the the Germans on the Eastern front, right in Russia, you know, um, you have the doctor there who was the chief doctor in in there and, you know, doing unbelievable things. I mean, if there was a regret I have is that I came into this too late Mm. to interview Wolf who has got to be a buck on his own. I mean it, it just the, the bravery and the conflict, you know, saving lives, right? But then being in a situation where he has to carry out abortions. You know, I mean what was the alternative?
0: Oh exactly.
2: You know, the genius, you know, and I'm told there is another incident later on where you kind of left guessing as to what happened and it's when the liquidation happened. Mm-hmm. I think it was um uh, two sisters came in they had a member of the family in the little hospital and they wanted him to kill to kill him kill her by a lethal injection uh because they would learned that what was happening is when they left the ghettos they were the Nazis were burning down the hospitals destroying them whatever or just killing everybody mm-hmm. that was left and uh, and and he's saying you know like that's not what I do you know and there were there I think there were half a dozen or more maybe 12 left uh, in the hospital on the day of liquidation and his brother came in and said you've got to leave now we're all marching now yeah and he said, i can't i can't you know and then what happened is he joined the march yeah and soon after the war they only found corpses in the hospital yeah he left a guess but can you imagine wanted him for the rest of his life i remember reading something from him actually um in one of his diaries or a reference to it he said you know he basically asked for forgiveness from the chief rabbi in jerusalem Mm. Um, it's reported that the chief rabbi just shook his head and said i'm not no nothing to nothing to regret here Mm. Mm -hmm. i wanted him for the rest of his life Um, um and you know, remarkable. I, I should, you know, I, I mean, I've told you quite a bit about you know things as they affected the ghetto. Um, mm-hmm. The Rogaskis family were remarkable, and uh, you know, they. He was a teacher, little schoolhouse, and that's where um, Ruth was hidden. And um okay. and uh, that's where the name comes from, Ruth's closet, because she came out with this incredibly. Jewish Jewish accent of the time, Mm -hmm. and they said, "We've just got to get rid of this," you know. So she was being taught Lithuanian how to speak Lithuanian, and any time there was a knock on the door, (laughs) she'd run into his closet and hid. Right, and uh, and then other times, if there was a guest come over, she'd hide upstairs. And every time she dropped something or did something, Ona would say, "Oh, it's mice." You know? Right. But then right. one day um, a woman came around uh, with her little daughter, and little daughter ran off upstairs and, and pulled up the bed. She and looked, and there was little Ruth. Oh, yeah, right <gasps> And she ran down and said, Mother, mother, you know, there's a girl upstairs. now. <laughs> and Honor said, To this day, I don't really know whether the mother figured it out or not. But it was never a problem. Uh, they were incredibly brave. When I interviewed Anna and said, "Why do you do this?" and she said, "It was the right thing to do." Yeah, it was that. It was the right thing to do. Well, it turned out that they were hiding Jews in the barn at the back, so that they would they would have this kind of. Underground Railway, you might say, so they'd be there for two nights and, and Ruth would come out and see them and all these eyes in the barn, because she, at some point she was playing out and she'd see all these eyes behind, through the slats and that, you know. And, and uh, yeah, it was just the right thing to do. Um, what's um, too, truly uh, remarkable is that uh, she had lost her son, very young, Rhymantus, to diphtheria. I think maybe six months before everything started to go bad. okay and uh she always said she'd save a child you know and, and um, i don't know if you know this but within a few months of her being ruth being there she contracted diphtheria um, really oh. yeah and so um wow when when uh when uh, the germans were nazis were invading Everybody else is running to the supermarket, or the equivalent thereof, you know, to get food. Yeah, And he was picking up things like ethereal serum and medications. Mm. So, <laughs> sure enough, it was uh, somebody else in the pipeline. A doctor came and delivered it and injected her and she got well, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, um, and this, this, uh, this couple were a part of a, a loose network Mm-hmm. wisely not everybody knew each other right and that was appropriate yeah, but there yeah. were you know much as we've heard about the bad things that catholic priests did in that area there was a remarkable community of those who saved jews and there uh, there's this father Kleiber, who anytime there was a threat or the risk of the nazis doing searches she would go and stay with him and she'd go on um, on his, brother's bicycle sit on the handlebars and he'd drive them up to father Kleiber's. the place wow. was full of Jews you know and oh it, you know it was uh, that was amazing again you know Kleiber died a long time ago but I was fortunate enough I managed to find some people in, in the church still in the church there who either remembered him or knew of him or what he'd done. So I was able to, to piece that together. So, you know, a lot of brave people out there who mm-hmm. wouldn't do what some of their neighbors were doing, you know, that they were active participants in saving, uh, saving Jews. But Anna, how can I describe it? She was such a, such a sweet grandma type, like you would not ever imagine her being doing what she did i mean she's so sweet you know and uh, oh she else she was sweet but you know what i'm saying you mm-hmm. you know she wasn't rough around the edges or anything she was her christian duty to do that wow. and you know one of the other things that, that struck me uh, she um she had to introduce her to other people once she got comfortable ruth that she had to be introduced or she was introduced i think as a a niece from somewhere else and she, they, they staged this arrival on a the back of a truck, <laughs> oh, and, wow. and you know, and her on, of course. And she arrived to great oh, not you know that kind of stuff, and uh, and and that's so. to yeah. she go to church, and that's when Ruth developed this lifelong fascination with the Catholic Church,
1: huh.
2: and you know, she would sit in the mass, and I, I guess. Uh, in one of them they were doing the tridentine latin mass <laughs> she kind of looked and said what's he saying <laughs> that type of thing you know and we don't know either um but you know it, it was wonderful and she talked about that often about her love of the churches and you know that never left her and of course jewish children who were saved mm-hmm. some rescuers were basically wanted to keep them right they yeah. did not they wanted to turn them into christians and and, and interesting little debates, which I got from Ona, how she felt so badly. She wouldn't do that. And she talked to Antanas, her husband, and said, you know, we, we've just got to look after her and, and and save her and then return her to her parents. And he agreed. And and the conscience thing, oh, we, you know, we mustn't, mustn't allow her to, you know, stray from the love of her parents. And in fact, when the Russians liberated, It took Maya and Gita to make a number of visits before Ruth was comfortable in going with them. Mm -hmm. Because being with Jews, speaking Yiddish, meant death. Right?
0: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And
2: and it took a while. And she said, you know, she picked up a few Catholic, things you know uh she you know she uh, had beads and that and she said i'll come back now you know this from ruth i'll come back <laughs> but <laughs> i keep this and and that mm-hmm. and that and, and if i want to go to church i go to church and bless them, did, them to wisdom and said okay
0: did ruth did your grandma um your Bubby? Bo- did she speak pretty good english
1: <laughs> Mine, right? Just clarifying. She spoke fluent English in terms of when I was born and when I was, when I was in my lifetime, yes. But whether, of course, I think she didn't come to Canada really knowing a lot of English. And if she did, it wouldn't have been as profound and refined as it would have been when I was growing up and when I tempted I knew her. You know, I mean, she would have passed away when I was only in 12th grade. 11th or 12th grade. Right. Mm-hmm. So what I found really interesting, Keith, is that when I met you and again, because I had heard that you were working on her story and her memoirs and things and met you in person and having the book handed and it was just really powerful. Um, one thing I'm really curious about, cause I can't believe we're almost at the end of our hour here together. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious to know about in the later parts of my grandmother's life and your communication with her and everything. Uh, did you notice any shifts in her nature, in her personality, in her ways of thought or speech, in her transition from being re-diagnosed with cancer, metastasized cancer, through the later parts of that year? Did you notice any differences in your relationship with her?
2: No, she, for me, she didn't, she didn't change. Um, okay. I'm sh- obviously, family would notice, you know, but no, she was remarkable. You know I would never she told me first time you know what what had happened and and then she broke it to me, but it was done in a way that oh you know I can re-diagnose this has happened, who knows so when are you going to finish the book <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> you know that was what she was like mm-hmm. and yeah the day the day she died, I cried because I got the final manuscript that she'd approved to her. Oh.
0: But it wasn't the final fine. Yeah, you know? yeah.
2: And I cried because I wanted it to be published before she died. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't happening. I mean, it wasn't finished. Um, mm-hmm. And it was at least, again, technology it was at a time when publishing was really difficult. I had a good agent, but because they were moving into digital eBooks. All publishing houses were putting in their money into turning their established authors roster of books into eBooks. And I'd Mm. get things back from my agent who said, I'm gonna name the publishers, reputable publishers, who said, we're really interested in two years. And I I said, ah, you know, we're going to do anyway the um holocaust center came to me and said could you find a way of publishing a thousand two thousand books mm-hmm. and what we'll do is we'll send them out to two thousand people as a fundraiser mm. so the agent said to me that won't harm harm it at all it's a great idea so i went um, i knew um Another friend called Lauren Siegel, who I'd worked with on the Coast Mental Health Foundation's Courage to Come Back Awards. I wrote the original stories. And I brought Lorne to tears many a lunchtime with stories from the book. Right, right. Thought, Here's the man who can fund this. <laughs> this right. venture. Because uh, it's not cheap to do that. Anyway, I went to Lawn and he looked at the mock-up back cover. He said, "That's Gita Chrome." I said, "I know, that's Ruth's mother. She taught me Hebrew." He said,
1: "No." Yeah, yeah. My grandmother taught. My great grandmother taught a lot of Vancouverites Hebrew and Talmud Torah.
2: So he went to his buddies, his classmates, and said, "Hey, we got to fund this," and they did. Amazing! And, wow! And 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 that's what happened. And then uh, we don't have time today. But then there was a, a publisher in the UK who came after it too and uh, did that and now we're podcasting or we will be next year it'll be next spring before the podcast is out but it's going to be very forward uh, uh, sort of um uh, educational There's going to be a high school element to it there's going to be a book club element and then follow up features like the ones i've just told you about so Amazing. it's an exciting time exciting I time
0: wait to listen to it and you know i have to say keith you've inspired me i i have um my Zadie, because it's very interesting. It's it's kind of profound to hear the differences between when a child like Ruth, a survive, child survivor of the Holocaust, and then my, like I said, my grandparents who were probably a, a decade at least older than she was throughout the Holocaust and just the differences in certain stories and things like that. My point is I have, my grandfather is on video with Steven Spielberg's people that, that went on. Oh, yes. North America. I think it was oh the Shoah Foundation.
2: Yes, that's right. Yeah.
0: And so, um, but it's all in Yiddish. And so you've just you've just kind of lit the fire in me again to get it all, um, you know, uh, transcribe, translated my brain, translated. <laughs> so thank you for that because again these these stories that I don't know if it's just been I love my father and if it's just been laziness on his part, <laughs> but I
2: <I'm,
0: laughs> as a grandchild I'll take it upon myself to to let this story be heard. So Mm
1: -hmm. thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and to echo Rachel, I really do appreciate you being here and all the work you've done to fulfill my grandmother's story and the other people that are in her generation that their stories need to be fully facilitated and told as well. You know, I always considered myself my grandmother's grandson. When I look at the relationship that I had with my grandmother, basically it was always fighting. That, that was basically my outlet for anger and rage. And same for that, we butted heads nonstop. And so when I look at my relationship with my grandmother, now looking back, I do wish that I were about to spend more time with her. And she offered that ability to spend more time. But all I could think is we're just going to gonna end up fighting. Why, do, why should I be around a person, right, where I'm going to be fighting all the time? Because that's coming from a, a kid's mindset of like, I don't, I just let me be in peace, right? Um, but I give it to my grandmother because she lives so fire so fiercely within me that I kind of look at my parents and I am obviously have my mother and my father in me. But mm-hmm. it's interesting, I always say to people, I'm my grandmother's grandson first. I feel like I skipped a generation. And a lot of those natures, mm-hmm. personalities, and the, that kind of drive to persevere is mm-hmm. something that you can't take away from anybody. And Rachel. Me and Rachel are part of that too, like we're part of that generation of Holocaust survivors that have been through so much adversity that we somehow have it in in here, that unquestionable drive to be successful or to prove that we are worthy. And it's pretty amazing how our ancestry has done that for us and other backgrounds too, but we're talking about this specific angle of that. So thank you for capturing the stories of those people. And uh, for just some of the stories, there's many more, you know. (laughs) There's tons of stories, you know, but I really am grateful that you could share what you have shared and that you are staying, um, staying the course to share that part of my ancestry that I still don't know much about, but I'm so grateful that someone is able to share it. So thank you very much. It's all a great ploy to get you to read the book. Yeah. yeah it is definitely a great ploy for sure and it will definitely happen definitely happen for sure. <laughs> totally no thank you very much is oh. there anything else that you want to share or uh, no i thinking? guess
2: I, I, you know just to say that uh watch out for the podcast uh, okay. i need to do some travel to do some interviews and um, we're looking for uh, sponsors obviously because it's okay. it's costly um, and I'm hoping to, uh, to get moving on that soon. There's lots of foundations out there. One thing I would just quickly add is one of the things I'm hoping to do in tying in with the, uh, the high school element within the podcast, okay. I'm prepared to give away 20 books, copies with the Vancouver Holocaust Center's wonderful guide for, for teachers to the book, uh, to any school in North America to use it as part of their Holocaust studies. Wow. Uh, so I'll be talking more about it at a time,
1: um, but that's going to be part of this. So okay. uh, yeah, lots to do. Amazing, amazing. And currently, where are you located, Keith? Within
2: Vancouver, I'm just uh, working from home.
1: Okay, amazing. <laughs> you know, amazing.
2: Um, wish I was on the road, but uh, we've all been, uh,
1: you know, kind
2: of stopped on doing that
1: right now. Absolutely. Okay, well, please keep in touch. If there's anything that myself or Rachel can further to do and support what's happening, please let us know. And we will have everything in the show notes and have your episode, this conversation, published within the next seven to 10 days. Okay, let me know. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Ruth would be proud of you. Aw, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. That means means a lot. I take that to heart. Okay. Okay, all right. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.